0: You are listening to Hands at Work audio. In this episode, the Hands at Work founder and CEO, George Snayman is speaking from Los Angeles, California. I'm so honored to be here with you tonight. And it's very daunting for me to speak to you tonight. Um, But I felt so at home and I've had such a wonderful time with some of you in, in Nigeria recently that um i feel i've got the freedom to to speak to you um from my heart tonight and i trust that you will hear from my heart and um, I, i just want to pray before we start and i just want to invite our lord to be with us father yeah just to say father it's it's incredible it's a miracle Jesus, when you taught the disciples to pray and you said, Abba, Father, Father, it was the first time in centuries that Yahweh was released and and revealed as Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. You said, our Father in heaven. Um, Will we ever understand that? I don't know, Lord. But what an incredible privilege to say this evening. Together, our Father. We want you to feel welcome and honored here tonight. We ask you for one thing that your heart will be revealed to us. Not that any of us can do that without you, Holy Spirit. We confess and confirm that without you we are dry bones. With you you can take somebody with no qualifications, somebody that had nothing to say and could hardly speak like myself and you can make sense. So I submit before you tonight, Holy Spirit. I honor you as the very spirit of God. You are holy and I, I submit totally to you. Jesus, I pray that your name will be lifted up tonight. You, you have done such a marvelous thing for us when you burst into our lives. When you came down to earth, you made a way for us to our father to reconcile us. You became our older brother. We became co-heirs with you. It's beyond understanding. We cannot comprehend that. We hold tight onto the promise that you are coming back. You are coming back. And you promised us that there's enough place for all of us. And so tonight, do I pray, Lamb of God, as you are coming back one day as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we choose tonight to acknowledge you and to bow the knee low before you. Father, you dwell high in the heavenly places and you dwell in a humble of heart. May you feel welcome with us tonight. May you dwell in our midst. We are your people, you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just quickly thank Pastor David for allowing us to be here tonight. In your, in your church, thank you sir and um, I obviously want to thank the, the crew that made it possible the people that came with me to Nigeria Sam, I, I appreciate you guys and, and Scott and Dennis and to thank your families to, to send you I heard some of your wives were actually quite happy that you went away for a while <laughs> no that's not true but (laughs) it was such a wonderful journey not a journey that was wonderful in a man sense it was actually a very tough journey but you know it's often in the tough times that our father is shining through he's bursting into our lives and as we got to know each other because we were cramped into one little place and together we experienced so much in one week We grew so close to each other. And I can honestly say to you how many prayers have gone to you guys from Nigeria and South Africa. Because we love you. We love your hearts. We love the way you seek God. And it gave us in Africa so much hope. So much hope. You know, there was a time in my life that I didn't have that hope. And I just want to take the opportunity to share a little bit to you about that. I, I grew up in South Africa as so a white South African at the height of apartheid. I ate from, with a silver spoon in my mouth from the fruits of injustice. Not knowing that, I need to tell you, not knowing that. At the age of 18, I was in Angola fighting against the Cubans and the Russians and I was, I was happy to die. As an 18-year-old boy, I remember my friends died on my sides. I never shed a tear. I thought, you're so lucky. So lucky to die for something so worthy. What a, what a sobering time it was to me. Years later, when unexpectedly, a church-going man with a lovely family, just living a middle class life, would never have believed that I'm a racist. Impossible. Even the people around you would have told you, he's not a racist. And then unexpectedly, undeservingly, without can claim that I even seek for one minute, Christ burst into my life. Like the sunlight burst over a mountain in the morning. And fullness of him hit me instantly and immediately immediately my whole life changed friends we had we had somebody that worked in our house that looked after our children she begged my wife to take me to the doctor she said this man is dying he cannot be that nice for 3 days in a row there must be something wrong <laughs> I, I would travel to work. I would travel to work, which is between Pretoria and Johannesburg. It's about a 40-minute journey. And I couldn't drive past people. Nobody had to teach me that. I didn't read it even anywhere. It was just in my heart. My, my wife and my two daughters, my son wasn't born then yet, they would, in a day, in a five o'clock in the afternoon when I would come home, they would peep out of the window to see who's going to be in the car. Something happened. And everything in my life changed. And that was in the 1980s. And it was at the height of apartheid. And in God's amazing ways of working. He gave me an African pastor called Hezekiah. And he discipled me. He took me and he taught me. You know, I would come home at night and Kelly and I will sit and we would read the Bible from cover to cover. We will read passages in Isaiah and the tears will run down my face. I will say, look, look look at this. He, he came. He came for the brokenhearted." On weekends, Hezekiah will put me in the back of his car. Sometimes he will put me, what do you call it? In a bonnet, is that right? Trunk. What's that? Trunk. <laughs> it's like miles. Guys, we're in 2013. Stop. Go to kilometers now. It's, it's been a century since we've gone there. And he will put me in a bag. He will hide me there. I'm just this middle class white guy, friends. And he will hide me there and take me to the townships. And on one side would be the riot police. And the other side would be the angry Um, youth, black youth and he will take me through and inside I will climb out and he will show me the brokenness and the pain of this world and I will go to the church, the church where I found Jesus the church, the church, I love that people to this day, I deeply love them but I I will sit with them and I'll tell them what I saw, I'll say to them you could have come with me, you've You've got to come and see what's happening. It's in our, it's in our backyard. And I will say to me, George, don't get political. You can evangelize them, But don't get into that other stuff. And so even when I was a young baby Christian, I felt neglected. I felt, God, what are you doing to me? I love these people, but, what, but why can't they see the pain? I started discovering my own culture, my background. I started discovering how I grew up in a church. I grew, since I could remember, I was in church. My parents were good Christians. I started listening to the words of my own culture and my head would hang with shame and pain. I couldn't believe they could talk like that about people. People and then in the same mouth they confess that Jesus is Lord so Hezekiah there's always a funny side to it Hezekiah will come to my my house on a Wednesday night with an African taxi now if you know an African taxi you know they say some people's hearts are like African taxis there's always a place for one more (laughs) African taxis, like you pack 45 people in a little van, you know. We sit on these other's laps and hang out of the, and they will come and pull into my my house in this upper white suburb. And they will climb out, and you know in Africa, they loud. And they will shout and talk, and all my neighbors will look out of the windows, you know. And they will say to me, you plan to sell? (laughs) You plan to get out of the suburb? It was tough times for me. I couldn't understand what it was. You know, years later, years later, after I walked with a stone around my neck of coming from my culture, I came to your country. And I saw the same thing. I saw the same thing. When Christ burst into my life, I remember that night I was weeping before Him. I mean, it was so sudden. And I said to him, I said, if you don't put me on the edge, if you don't put me in a place where there's nothing between you and me, I said, God, I'm going to betray you. I don't trust my heart for one second. You're going to have to keep me right there. If you don't hold me, I'm gone. Don't give me a tree. Don't give me anything. You're going to have to, if you want us to go forward, there must be nothing between us. And I started becoming obsessed in my heart to find the heart of God. I just knew, I knew if I could really, not religion, not doctrine. You know, too many of us worship doctrine. I believe in doctrine. I really do. But that's not life. Life is love of Jesus Christ. Some of us are having a relationship with his doctrine. I was I said, God, if you can show me your heart, if I can see your heart, I know everything else will fall into place. And I would travel to work every day. I would pray, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your heart. You know, there's times that I would come off work and I I would pick up, once I pick up a couple, they couldn't have been older than 21. They had a baby of less than a week old standing on a highway, Got thrown out of the, um, the house of the parents. Sitting in my car. Just a brokenness. I realized that the world is scattered around us. And we live in this little bubble. I said, Lord, show me. Well, the one thing took to the next one, to the next one. And a time came where I resigned from my work. I sold my house. We actually opened our house and all our friends that came with Pastor Hezekiah to visit us every Wednesday, we said to them, it's open day. You can come and take what you want. Well, you should have seen our neighbors that day. It was hilarious. (laughs) But you know, we got in our little car. It was a Honda 130. I had three children under the age of seven. and I had $20 a month support and I didn't have a clue a clue where I was going to go but I was so in love with Jesus I was so hungry for my father's heart that it didn't matter to me actually Carolyn and I prayed one prayer that morning before we left and I remember I said to God, Lord, I don't care where we stay. I don't care what we eat. I do want to ask you one thing. Please, never let my children suffer education because of my choices for you. I, I want my testimony and their testimony to, be, to glorify you. And you know, friends, there was times that we lived in a house that was so small that my son shared a bedroom with me and Carolyn for more than a year and and we had, we had three bar chairs. That was our cupboards. Whatever you can pack in your bar chair, that was your cupboard. You know, when I ask my children after they finish school, they're all old now. You can see how old I am. After they finish school, I often say to them, when were the happiest times in your life? Now, when I worked, they all had their own bedrooms. We had a swimming pool. I asked them, when were you on your happiest it was a time when we lived in that house where we didn't even have cupboards. And I said to them, how can it be? And they said, we don't know, but we were so happy. It got to a place where, where, where I had to go and stand outside a grocery shop. Is that what you call it? And they would throw food away. And I would pick it up and take it home. I was content in my heart because you know after I studied theology and after we've done everything just to give you glimpses of how God took us we ended up in a mission station in a rural area in KwaZulu-Natal and I ended up with a, a vegetable garden and 50 chickens Three years in my theological school, every year I got a prize for pastoral student. And, then <laughs> and God just said, you will not become a pastor. I, th- I thank him for that today. I think all the congregations can be just as happy about that. <laughs> but I ended up with 50 chickens in a vegetable garden. And honestly, every morning I would go and scrape that floor of the 50 chickens. I would knew them by name. And I will think about my colleagues in the air conditioning buildings. And I'll think about my students that I study with. And I can see them laughing at me. You know how we are. But I will be so grateful in my heart. Because Jesus was like a wet blanket over me. Not because of what I did. But I found him. I found him. You know where I found him? I would make a, vet, a big bowl of soup in a big barrel every day. And I will go to a rubbish dump, a rubbish dump where children scratch for food. And I will go and stand there, and there will be this endless line of children. And I will feed them soup. And every now and then, one of my chickens will pay the ultimate price. And they'll come with me. And they'll go down. But you know, even on a rubbish dump, there are classes, even on a rubbish dump, the most vulnerable girls always in the back of the line. I I was terrible in science and physics, but I could remember that meat goes down. So when I stand in that line and hand out the soup, I always know that when those girls come, the chicken is waiting for them at the bottom. And I'll give them these chunks of chicken. You know, I followed them home one day. Let me just tell you, on that dump, on Christmas, they're also there. They don't have Christmas, friends. Christmas, they've got to go and scratch for food. I've watched those kids eating rotten meat the local butcher will come and throw green meat and they will eat it and I will stop them I will shout at them don't eat it and they will say to me I know we are going to be sick but tonight our stomachs will be full I followed those children home one day those two girls I met their mother Josephine 22 years old lived in a corrugated shack size of a stable wet floor soil freezing cold there she sat there they had one blanket the three of them a little paraffin light you know we couldn't speak to each other that day I sat around that little fire with Josephine coughing she had TB and the two girls and I could taste Jesus I could sense him I could feel him I don't know how to describe it to you I want to tell you when when Jesus said Matthew 25 I was hungry and you fed me I was saying listen you've got to understand this is not this is not fancy language he's he's meaning it You, you, you go down you go down and you find those kids you'll find him he's there why? Why is that? Well, he came down, you know. He came down. He was in a perfect community. And because of love, he came down. The one who cast the stars in in the heavens, who knew every star, was in a, a young teenager's womb. He became a refugee in Africa. He had to drink from his mother To stay alive. That's how far he went for you and me. He had to learn how to tie his shoes. Every time you and I go down, every time we dare, we dare to go down. I spoke to somebody earlier tonight and I said what you were doing as a dentist, what you're doing, it's amazing. Every time you go down, you find Jesus. Because you are just like him. And they are sat in a shack freezing cold and his woman is coughing and his children and I'm supposed to be depressed but <laughs> I can't explain to you how happy I am because I found the one I was hunted for years hunting for years Jesus was there I, after that for months I would look for reasons to get into that shack because the presence of God was overwhelming in there You know, Carolyn and I would go into the rural hospitals and we'll go and pray for children. Children who don't even know their own names. You know, in Isaiah 43, God said, I know your name. There are children who haven't heard their names for years. We found the girl there, Trankla. You know what it means? It means lucky. Her her mother died when she gave birth to her. When I met Nantlancla, she was six years old. She was all the children in that ward were lying together and there was about twelve empty beds and then it was Nontlantla. We found her there. You know we 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 started building a relationship with Notclantla. We took her to our house and she will sit with our children around the tree. And to watch non-cla for the first time in her life, experiencing a laugh. Man, you you can't experience that and not believe in Jesus. May I say something to you? (laughs) You know what your problem is here? You've got a pain-free society. It's a curse. It's a curse. You find Christ in a pain. In that pain of watching Ngoclankla, my children, my children saw Jesus. We experienced him. The way she responded to love, it was unbelievable. Well, we, was, we were going to invite Ngoclankla for Christmas Day you know normally Christmas days we would take a table tablecloth food everything and we'll go to the rubbish dump and we'll put out the table and then we'll put a spread out there second to none and when the children come and scratch for food that day we'll have a table laid with food for them that day we didn't go there we said non Klan come coming to our house we were going to have a party for non we're going to show her today is the day we celebrated the birth of Jesus On Christmas Eve, I went to that hospital to go and take some, admit somebody. Carolyn came with me. And as we entered the hospital, I said to her, let's run to Nontlantla and just remind her, tomorrow is the day. You know, as we walked into the ward, they pushed her body out. Exactly that moment. She died that night. She never had a Christmas. Why why did God allow that to happen when I walked in that moment? You know, friends, I was chasing my father's heart. I want to know what's in his heart. And I believe that day when I stood there and I watched him pushing on, Galen ran after them and she looked and, and I couldn't move. I just stood there. I couldn't move there was a righteous anger burning in my heart. I was so angry. Because it was not necessary. And it was a disgrace to us calling ourselves followers of the one that came to bring life and life in abundance. Is it possible? Is it possible that we've experienced real love, transformational love, love that took us? I was not plant You see, I was Josephine. I was non clan -clan. Every orphan I ever met, when I look at them, I see myself. And understanding that undeservingly, that day when Christ burst into my life, it was the last thing I deserved. It was the last thing I expected. He just came to me. Why me? I mean, guys, I'm, I'm from the most despised culture in Africa why why did he show me that undeserving amazing love why and what does it mean to my life now you know people say to us when they hear our story you mean you mean you you gave up your career you sold your house and you went out you've done such amazing things you know (laughs) we've done nothing We've done nothing. God has just poured his love upon us wave after wave after wave. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outlove God. But in Isaiah 61, Jesus spoke that out in his own hometown and he said, this is my life mission. I've come to preach the good news to the poor. I've come to heal the broken-hearted, to comfort those who mourn. If you and I have experienced that love, it's impossible for us to be self-centered. It's impossible if we cannot cross the road just because there's something in us who wants to cross the road surely we must question if we've ever really experienced that love if the things of the world is so amazingly bright to us and it always draws us, draws us surely we've never seen the other side of the other kingdom we've heard about heaven and what but But we don't understand the love. If we do, it's not like somebody has to twist our arm. How can we say we love God? But the very people that were created in his image, a part of God, we don't quite understand what it is, but there's certainly a part of God in them. Those people are busy dying. They're dying. They've got no hope. Guys, I'm, I'm not talking about people that sit outside here. I'm talking about people, children, they've got no hope. They cannot choose to be safe tonight. They cannot choose to go to school tomorrow. They don't have a choice to eat. The girls, the girls 11, 12, tomorrow their bodies are on the line. On the line to feed them and their siblings. No other choice. That's a choice in life. People knitted together in their mother's wombs. How? How is it possible that that cannot compel us? How is it possible that we can say, well, we're not really into social justice. We, we evangelize. And anybody that knows me will tell you I'm an evangelist. I believe in it. I use the train, the plane, the station, the... I will not go putting gas in my car. I will not go through a toll gate without asking the person's name and talking to them. But you know what's the definition of evangelism? It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's not an arrogant man telling other people that they must say ABC prayer and they can perhaps come and see their God it's not like that it's laying our lives down it's loving and serving it's caring because we were on that side once so Kelly and I just that day when Nontlantla died we drew a line We said we cannot. Even where we were was not good enough. And we moved into a village and we started reaching out into villages. The AIDS pandemic was in full flow then. There was no medication. People were dying like flies. Every day. I would bury people from Friday afternoon till Sunday afternoon non-stop. Every single day. Every single day. Young women. Girls of 17. Dying in my arms. The look that they have in their eyes will never leave me. The stigmatization, the neglect, the rejection. In a country where 80% of people confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. I held a child in my hands that died of hunger. The doctor gave me a death certificate out of hunger. And my own church, 15 minutes from there, was busy building a new building. Now I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know there was a time in my life that I was angry. I was struggling. And God had to take me to the place where He showed me that I am the church. And the church is His fiancé. He's going to marry the church. And He loves the church. And if I love him, I will love the church. And so out of that started growing a deep love for the church. And I knew that if more people can see what I can see, that their hearts will be drawn to God. Their lives will change. The decisions they make will be different. And so we started opening up our hearts and saying to the churches, come and be with us. Come and walk with us. Come and see. Come and meet your Josephines here. Because we want people to go home and we want them to live that life at home. We want them to grow and to become mature Christians. So we expanded. Not... And knowing and we still don't have a clue how we do it. But we found villages that are completely off the ladder. That's how we would call it. Where people have got no choices. Hands at work only work where nobody else works. And it's maybe because we are the worst. Okay, I don't know. But, so we go where nobody can see when we mess up. <laughs> we, we find those villages. We go to those places Um, Dennis and them were with us and some of them in Lagos in the slums And, and we go to them and we find the church it doesn't matter how weak the church is it's normally just a group of old ladies and we tell them you are the beautiful body of Jesus you are the beautiful feet and we are here to lift your hands we believe in you we believe in it and we show them God's heart and his word and we tell them to, to love God is to love his people. Love God righteousness, love your neighbor justice. Together it's to be like Jesus. You take one away, you're a liar. John. But then we say, we know many people. Actually, at that stage we lie. We we hope we know many people. We say we know many people that's gonna support you. They're going to pack it. Just keep, we call it Mother Teresa's. We say, just focus what you do. Keep doing it. We talk about holy home visits. We tell them that when you go to a child's house, you know them by name. And when you visit, you don't leave until Jesus rocks up. You know that? You stay until God shows you why you must be there. And you know their names and you touch them, and you show love. I love living in the villages, friends. I love being with them. Last year on Easter, I was in Malawi in the mountains on Good Friday. I was with eighty orphans at the humble little feeding point where we feed these children. Eighty of them, and I was sitting there with them. They sit around me. I mean, you know. I say, I look at this. I say, God, this is Good Friday. In fact, it was about time. according to our time zone now, where the crucifixion took place. And I sat with those orphans and I said, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you, he came for you. He know your name. And, and in five minutes time, that's when he died. You know why he died? So that you can have life. I shared it to these 80 orphans. They're sitting there. It's like they can't believe this good news. Their eyes are as big as this. I've come to bring the good news where there's no hope. I mean, where else in the world would I have loved to preach on a good Friday? If people are so close to God. If Jesus went to one church service, he would have been there. <laughs> How beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news. That's the thing that got stuck in our heads. And we wondered, we asked this question, Gail and I, are there still enough people that care? Do you understand what I mean? Are there still enough people that when they hear what I'm doing right now, that they will say, count me in. I want to be part of that." You know, I'm the worst salesman in the world. I don't know how to do it. But I, I'm so passionate about this. I, when I speak to you, I don't even see, I see the children. I see Ignat. I see Ignat, a girl of 12 years old that I met that walked 80 kilometers to look for family after her mother died. She lives with goats in her hut. Do you know that child burned into my memory forever? I met her on, on the Sunday of uh, Easter weekend, the day of resurrection. That morning when the sun came up, I was worshiping God in the mountains. I love Easter. It's a huge day for me. And I'm worshiping God. You have risen. You, my God. Yeah, it it was so amazing. All by myself in the mountain. Two hours later, I met Ignat in a village where she had no hope. She was a slave. She lived in a hut. There was not even a blanket. Guys, they put the goats with her at night. She's like this. I said to her that day, Ignat, if I can give you one thing today, what can I give you? You know what she said to me? Just give me a piece of soap so I can wash my body. She man, it shook me. I mean I did it for 20 years. It shook me. You know not you know what shook me? You know what shook me is is if my gospel is true. I'm not turning my back on that. I'm not going to run away from this. If Jesus is true, I want to see it in I'm not going to say, well, that's something else. For me, God is good. I don't accept that. It's not good enough for me. Well, I, I wrestled with it that night. I was sleeping in a hut. The, the rats were running up and down on the roof so I couldn't sleep but I was so worried about Ignat the next morning I went there before I had to fly out and I said to her, Ignat I, I can't go and buy you soap there's no shop for 80 kilometers but I want to give you my soap the soap that I had I Said that's all I have but I want to give it to you you know I walked away that day from Ignat I walked about 10 meters and I turned around and <sighs> she stood in her hut and that child stared at me and she saw right through me. It was like I was representing the love of Jesus. I was it. What she would experience was me. And how important is she to God? She's just a stupid Often in the mountains right but that moment when she stared at me I just knew she's my father's daughter it's worth walking to Malawi to go to her she's worth fighting for if I'm adopted into that house of my father and Jesus is my brother then I will live for one thing and that is to bring the children into my father's house. Five months later, completely unexpectedly, not scheduled, nobody knew, I was in the area and I went into that same village, in that same little, we call it the life center, where the children come and eat in the afternoons. And I sat in a corner, I sat there half an hour before they came. Nobody could sit me, I sat like behind a box. And the children came in. I love watching them when they can't see me. (laughs) And they all come in. You know where they stay? The closest clinic is 25 kilometers. Now you can imagine a child, no adult, with malaria walking 25 kilometers. It's unbelievable. And I'm sitting there in in a corner and I watch the kids coming in after school and we give them one meal a day. And they all sit there. Now they wait to gather together. And here came a girl walking in. But I tell you, my heart is pumping. at 300 per minute. And I thought, I wonder if that is Ignat. But she's dressed beautiful in a school uniform now. And when they all sat down, she, Ignat, came to the front. And she spoke in, in uh, the local language in Malawi. And everybody stood up and she ripped loose with this voice and she started leading in worship I so wish you could have been there with me it was just the most incredible thing to listen to 80 orphans who lost both their parents who live in a place where nobody cares they are treated like animals and it's a group of believers of Christ that know their names, that cook food for them, that visit them in their homes. And they come into that place of safety once a day and they stand up and they start declaring the name of God. I sat in that corner. <laughs> well, I mean, My shirt was soup weight at the end. Of it. And they don't know I'm sitting there. And they do roll call. And this girl, the teacher say, Ignat! and this girl she said and I watched her and she went and she got a plate of food and she sat there among the other children you know I've done something for Ignat I got her into that program and whatever (laughs) but it's nothing to what she's done for me nothing Changed my life, and Ignat is a living testimony in a hopeless place that there's a God of love. There's a God of love, and He cares, and He say, "I will fight for those who've got no hope." I am the father of the fatherless, and our husband of the widows is God in his holy habitation, says David, the man after God's own heart. And that's Hans at work. Just a simple man. If I've done ever anything that should be credited, then it's one thing. I drew a line on the sand when our plant died, I said, before the next child die, in my watch, you've got to walk over me. I've made a vow of my wife, that when we take a child on, in a program, they stop eating when we stop eating. I will not eat if I cannot eat. Do I work to try and earn my life with Christ? No. love Jesus he's everything to me but his heart is pumping in my rib cage, and what matters to him matters to me Now, friends I want to tell you tonight Africa don't need you as much as you need Africa When I got to know you, I discovered that you most probably the poorest nation I've ever met. You know what's the definition of poor? It's when you kill your own babies. That's poor. That's poor. You know what poor is? When you say save the trees and kill the babies that's poor friends you need Africa you need to meet Ignat. your young children need to learn what it means to serve they need to know that the kingdom of God is down it's not up the worst thing we can do for our children is to give them everything everything we kill the hope in them Like one young American said to me recently I just want to kill my own Goliath but my culture don't allow me. Hands at work just want to be a platform for the body of Christ in the poorest places. People can communicate people can partner with us prayer, prayer, prayer you can imagine how much prayer we need. But we need people to come USAID did a research on our work and they said that our volunteers, our care workers, just don't stop. They just continue. A typical other project, after two years, people burn out. With us, they don't burn out. It's because we use steroids. No. (laughs) (coughs) They just don't burn out. USAID did a research and they said the only difference they found was that our key workers are constantly encouraged from outside. They need to know. They need people to lift their hands. They are rebuilding the wall of Nehemiah. They are fixing the old ruins. They need you. Those grandmothers that are doing that work in those villages are putting their bodies on the line there. But they need support. We need to buy the food. As the body of Christ, I unashamedly appeal to you. We need workers. We need people to come. Send your best to us. We'll send them back to you mature. They see what they see, they'll go back mature. And they will never just sit in a pew again. They will want to build the kingdom of their father. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share just a glimpse of what's in my heart. I'm very happy to answer questions or to stay behind. Or if you want to fight with me, you've got to catch me first. <laughs> I run every day. So. But I, I thank you for allowing me And I want to pray that whatever was said to us from our Father, that it will sink deep in your spirits and it will bring forth a harvest a hundredfold. And anything I said that was not from God, that it will be like chaff and it will not touch anybody. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are rich in love and slow to anger. And that you've got compassion all that you've made you are the only God that came to serve us first before you said to us come and serve me you showed us you came all the way we love you Jesus we love your heart. We love it that you love the most vulnerable so much that you don't just neglect them. We love that, Lord. We love it that you know our names. You know our challenges tonight. And and even among us tonight, there are vulnerable people. There are those who are hurting. who experience rejection. There are holes in the wall here. I pray that you will raise up boulders to fix the walls, to fix the holes in the walls. Lord, tonight, whatever was from you, Father, I pray, please let it touch deep in fertile ground. Let your Holy Spirit reign on that tonight. And let all the glory go to your name. I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org